Nation podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast by thepilotreport.com about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 27, Oshkosh is coming, the Australian flyabout and the flight of a lifetime, coming up now on this edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now, here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Rick Felty, Carl Valeri, and Len Costa. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode number 27 of the Stuck Mike Avcast. I'm your host, Len Costa, and joining me on the show today, as always, are the usual groups of aviation dingbats. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a second. Now you've gone too far. <laughs> Getting okay. really sick of these titles. So it's Carl, it's the only dingbat, let's be honest. That's true. But anyway, no, 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 just kidding. Mr. Carl Valeri from somewhere out there in podcast land, where are you and how are you today? I am doing wonderful, and I am in the Lehigh Valley, Pennsylvania, Allentown, PA, not far from Reading, PA, where they have the World War II weekend and briefing time, big historic event. They have like a thousand actors there that uh, reenact World War II weekend. That just happened. So I'm really excited to be here in a historic Lehigh Valley, historic aviation city. Historic, very neat. I did not know that little tidbit about Reading. Yes, it's, the mo- it's an amazing event. It's been going on for 22 years. And Briefing Time, which is a B-25, is one of the aircraft that they've restored. And it's always there, and you get to see some pretty neat folks. They had the Band of Brothers there just about uh, three years ago, um, the actual Band of Brothers. Mm-hmm. Oh, fantastic. Miss Victoria Nouvelle, soon to have a new last name from, uh, where are you in the world today, Miss Nouvelle? I'm still in Maryland. I'd like to be on a nice beach or hiking right now, but I decided I would talk to you fellas. You're going to be on a beach right now? I I would like to be. On a Thursday night, the middle of the week. Don't you think that's a little... (laughs) With a margarita in my hand? (laughs) Sure. Sure, wonderful. Cool. Well, I, I mean, anybody would rather have a margarita in their hand. I'm sure we would all like that. But hey, you know, next time we're all in the area, we'll come over to your place and you can stir us up a batch. How about that? There we go. Yay, buddy. Mr. Felty joining us from where in the world? Yes, sir. I'm sitting on my back porch with a margarita in my hand in beautiful, historic <laughs> Natick, Massachusetts. Did well, I that was quick. Did I summarize everyone else's? Yeah, uh, right? <laughs> Here I am. Yes. I just thought of it, and boom, there's boom. that margarita. Yum, yum, Yeah, yum, no, that's yum, pretty yum. much where I am. And it's, it was a beautiful day here, and I'm looking forward to tonight's show, today's show. It certainly is a nice day here in New England. I'm Len Costa, joining you from the world headquarters of the Stuck Mike Avcast in southern New Hampshire. It's a glorious day here. The sun is out. Great temperature today, low humidity, great visibility. Just a phenomenal day. Let's do the pre-flight. So um, today's show is going to start, we start out actually with a couple of announcements. I'm going to hand it over to Mr. Carl Valeri. Well, thanks, Len. This is 
going to be an exciting month for air shows. The summer usually is. And coming up in July, we have some uh, three of uh, some um, uh, most amazing air shows that are out there. And that one of them is called the Dayton Air Show in Dayton, Ohio. And it's not far from the Air Force Museum. And that's coming up July I thought it was 7th in Pensacola. Excuse me? I thought it was in Pensacola. Mm-mm. Oh, Dayton, Ohio. No. Okay, sorry. Go Air ahead. Force. Tell us the dates again. Yes, <laughs> Air Force, <laughs> July seventh through the eighth. You've been to uh, to the uh, Navy Museum down in Pensacola, is what you're thinking of. No, but actually, will, I, was, I was just but, being a stooge. I've I've been to that museum in Dayton. It's nice. Well, no, I thought I thought you were actually saying that because you were trying to to remind me that the Blue Angels were going to be at the Dayton Air Show this year. Are they? Yes, they will be there this year from July uh, July seventh and eighth, both days, and it's an amazing show. And if you get a chance. Try to buy uh, one of those premier tickets. I forget what they call them, but you can actually stay in one of those uh, tented areas with air conditioning and hang out I've and watch the show. I've done that at air shows. It is so worth it. <laughs> Isn't it, though? Yeah. Yes. Uh, and, they have, uh, and they have cocktails and food, and you can just sit there and, and just not move and have people serve you <laughs> and stuff. It's wonderful. Air shows and margaritas, maybe. <laughs> but no, that's going to be a cool one. And then they have stuff like blow up, and that's really cool to see. And not, you know, fake stuff, not real. Yeah, stuff fake stuff. Yeah, pyrotechnics. Yeah, pyrotechnics is really what it is. Uh, so, yes, that'll be an exciting show. And uh, really, from everybody I know that's been there, I haven't been yet. They've told me that it's, it's one of the most amazing events, except there's another one that's even better than that and bigger. And it's actually the largest one uh, in the world. And that would be Air Venture. And that is uh, this year... July 23rd through July 29th in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And you know who's going to be there, Len? Uh, hopefully me, but I know Victoria well, will be. Our favorite co-host, Victoria Newell, will That's be right. there again. Woo! If you see and a pink-faced, um, sassy redhead <laughs> prancing around in the sun, just go over and say, What up, VDD? Well, she I don't the... get too burned there. I am working. Oh, okay. In the exhibits. Oh, that's good. So come see me when you need the shade or when it starts raining. And tell everybody what exhibits you're at, by the way, so they do know where to find you. Aviation Insurance Resources. Phenomenal. There's nothing better than getting paid to be at Oshkosh. Yeah, I think we were in Exhibit C last time or something. I, I'll, I'll have to let you guys know when I find out. Are you going to be, well, are you usually in the same place? I don't know how those things work. Yeah. Oh, well, cool. And will you be going to Potapalooza this year, Victoria? Uh, yeah, let me know when it is. I'll be yeah. there. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Man, I got to find my way up there then. That's yes. for sure. Definitely also be at the uh, 99's breakfast. Oh, cool. Ooh. Awesome. And oh. uh, Yeah, and there, it, it, Victoria, you're, you're pretty easy to find. You know how I stand out. You do. It's, <laughs> it's the lady in the crowd that's got the red hair, skinny, and she's usually telling people what to do. Telling you, that's, see, that's just it, right? Being bossy. Take a chair, Carl. Take a chair, yeah. Oh, God. Hi, I'm Victoria here. Grab these chairs. That was the that's, first time uh, I met Carl. The first time we ever met. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Tell me what yes, to do then. Yeah. Amazing. Cool. But no, I tell you that uh, you'll be there. Hopefully, Rick might make it there. I'm going to really try hard. I think I'll be there on the weekend. Uh, and be able to talk to a few folks out there. You'll see me in my stuck mic T-shirt mm-hmm. running around. I'll have the big, huge stuck mic T-shirt. Well, let's logo. be honest. Are you really going to be running around, or are you going to be well? Sauntering my weight gently? running around is walking. Okay, okay. and so 
Yeah, and the stuff. Yeah, last time I saw him run was only when the breakfast buffet opened up down oh, there. Oh, ouch. Ouch. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least we don't need any blood advertising. We yeah, just stick it to and stick, stuff I, That's like. right. I got, the, I got free advertising on Carl's belly there. <laughs> okay. Anyway, Thanks, man. Moving on. Moving on. And, let's see. I've got two. Did I count the third one that oh, you told us about? Oh, the third one, yes. And the most important one for this podcast today, it has a lot of relevance, is that there's a thing called the Arlington Fly-In, and I keep getting invited to this, and I never go, and I really have to go. And that fly-in is actually going to be from, let's see, 11th through the 15th of July, and that's going to be out in Washington. And from everybody that I've heard that has gone there, they love it. Uh, the one, A couple of neat things will be there. You'll have, uh, what is it, Sentimental Journey. The B-17 will be there. And you'll also see... Let's see a couple other things here. We have uh, a couple Stinsons, a bunch of military vehicles, and of course the night glow in the uh, in the hot air balloons. But you know mm-hmm. what's you know who's going to be there, Rick or uh, Len? That's uh, really really important. It's going to be Monica Petrillo, or actually I should say the movie uh, that Monica Petrillo put together, and that's called Fly About. That'll be airing at this event at the Arlington Fly-In. Yes, it will. Funny you should mention the movie Flyabout. Now entering cruise flight. You know, I happened to uh, go to the mail the other day, and I open up my mailbox, and I have a package in there. And I'm like, hmm, what is this package? So I open it up. In there is a DVD called Flyabout. Oh, wow. What's it, what's, what's it about? Well, let me tell you, Flyabout is a heartfelt personal story of a young woman who gets her pilot's license and inspires her father to do the same. Cool. And then together with him, she follows her dream to fly a plane around the continent of Australia. Now, her introduction to the Aboriginal walkabout brings on the realization that piloting the plane won't be just the hardest part of the trip. And I watched this DVD yesterday, and uh, it's not just it's not just another flying video, but it was there's so many life's lessons in here, so inspirational. I actually. In the middle of watching this movie, I got in my email, and I went over to flyaboutmovie.com, and I looked up Monica's information, and I sent her an email, and I said, Dear Monica, please be on my show. And what'd she say? I'll be there. Really? She will. So, everybody, I'd like to introduce today our, our um, special aviator and the producer, director, and uh, creative genius behind Flyabout, Monica Petrillo. Welcome today, Monica. Hey, Glenn. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. And like I said, I really was in the middle of watching this DVD yesterday. I was like, you know, this is such a fascinating story. It's so inspirational. And from the aspect that, you know, when I say inspirational, I looked at it. And, you know, and I realized to myself, because when, when this took place, this this massive journey, I'll kind of give a quick recap of what it's all about. But your father, you and your father... And some other aviators actually took a trip where you circumnavigated the entire continent of Australia and general aviation aircraft. And it was really cool. And, and, you know, the reason I felt it inspirational is because when you started this journey, you only had 140 hours and a private pilot certificate and you were VFR only. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not sure that at 140 hours, I would have been brave enough to go to a foreign country and fly around at, you know, with that level of experience. So tell us briefly, um, you know, what, what was your inspiration about going on, you know, getting underway and taking this journey in the first place? Uh, well, there were a couple different inspirations. Um, 
first of all, I want to say ignorance is bliss. Like after I'd gone on the trip, I sort of wondered myself, wow, how did I have the courage to do that? But <laughs> before you know what you're getting yourself into, you know, you, you don't know. And so you just do. I've, I've always sort of lived by the, um, by the motto, you know, just carpe diem, you know, you got something in front of you, just, just do it. Right. And uh, that's how I got my pilot's license in the first place. I never planned on being a pilot. Um, I grew up in Germany where we don't really have much of general aviation. And, um, by mere coincidence, I met a flight instructor at a party one night in Hollywood. And when he told me that that's what he does, that he teaches people how to fly, I, I frankly didn't believe him at first. And then he said, oh, no, 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 I'm serious. If you want to take an introductory lesson, just come on out to the airport one day and we'll go up and I'll show you what it's like. And I was 24 at the time, so I thought it, was, it felt like somebody handing me a you know, a roller coaster ticket or something. So I was like, well, of course I'm going to go if somebody invites me. Um, and before I knew it, I was circling over Sherman Oaks in a Cessna 172. <laughs> and I was totally hooked and thought, <laughs> wow, is this possible that I am actually controlling this aircraft and feel like I'm riding a bicycle through the air? I just couldn't believe it. Um, and so... I decided at that point, rather spontaneously, that I was going to get a pilot's license. Mm -hmm. I guess it's fair to say that that guy was the first inspiration, or that moment was my first inspiration. Um, then that sort of led to my father. My father lives in Germany still, and he was 58 at the time. And when I called him and told him that I had decided to spend every last dime that I owned on getting a pilot's license... <laughs> I was a little worried how he might re react, and um, he actually just turned silent, and and then he said, "Well, I'm, I'm really, I'm really envious." I couldn't believe he said that. Uh, <laughs> so he confided in me at that point for the first time ever in my life that he had always dreamt of flying, but that, like so many other people, he had just decided that that wasn't really you know, going to happen. So he wasn't going to pursue it. And here was his 24 year old daughter doing it. And the truth is he, he I think he couldn't really live with that. Sure. <laughs> decided, um, about a year later, he decided to come to LA from Germany. He took all of his vacation and, um, uh, came over and took six weeks and got his own pilot's license, mm -hmm. which was really, yet another inspiration to me I just couldn't it was great to see that I had been able to inspire my dad to do something like that and then together we we returned to this dream we said like well we always wanted to go visit Australia um and we were like well now it makes sense to go because we could cover these great distances because my dad being very efficient and very German had always said well if you go to Australia you have to see the whole of it you can't just see the <laughs> So he was like, well, now it makes sense. We could go, we could rent a plane and see the whole continent. Um, and shortly thereafter, I found a, a listing somewhere in a magazine for Guana Air Safaris, which organizes these tours that would literally circumnavigate the continent of Australia in four weeks. And we booked it. And two years later, we went. Okay. Because I was actually kind of curious at first. Um, when you had met everybody down there in Australia, 
the the different parties involved. There's about seven or eleven folks that actually went on this journey. And I was curious, you know, when I saw the video, when I saw the DVD, I didn't know if this was something that you had organized or how you all came about. Because the folks that were with you, most of them were American and from uh, you know from the USA, from different parts of the country. So this was just this was an organized tour, then, if you will. It's an organized tour, right? Yeah, which um, Goana Air Safaris was doing that. They had different tours, one-week tours, two-week tours, four-week tours, and they were specifically designed for pilots, much like you would if you were a Harley-Davidson rider, you would sign up on one of those tours, but this was specifically for pilots. Um, But it was open to people from all over the world. One couple was actually from Germany. Um, the other two couples were one from San Diego, one from Boston, and then mm-hmm. there was me and my dad, and we had also brought my dad's wife and my brother. So we were the only airplane that actually had four people um, in the in the in the cockpit. Right, right. So the journey started. Uh, well, you know, tell tell folks where it started, and um, and and then you know we we know essentially that you went around the entire country. It wasn't all coast; some of it was inland. But you know, uh, where did you start the journey? We started in Brisbane, so we all basically flew in commercially into Brisbane, and where we all met up, and we met all the other people that were going to be on the tour, which was a bit of a, you know, you're a bit wary. You're going to spend four weeks with these people in rather close quarters, and um, I have to say it was. Uh, uh, incredibly fortunate that we were thrown together as this group because we have remained really close friends for ever since. And uh, we just all were of the same mindset that you got to take life by the horns and (laughs) go for it. Um, And they've all become great friends. Uh, Anyway, so we met in Brisbane and then we flew to class mostly along the coast you know, up north to the Northern Territory and uh, um, then across to the very top left corner of Australia where we stayed and uh, in the outback. And then from there we went down along the West Coast to Perth where we spent three days. Mm-hmm. And then from there heading east again through the Null Arbor Plain, the largest desert down there, back over to um Right before Brisbane, we uh, right before Sydney, we 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 did not go into any of the big cities, so we kind of, you know, did a shortcut there, and then headed back up north to Brisbane. Okay, um, I wanted to actually give uh, sort of a disclaimer to folks, the listeners out there on the show today. Um, you know, Monica didn't just get her pilot certificate, go to Australia and do this trip and make a movie. I mean, you had some actual, I mean, you have a background in Hollywood, if you will. Give us a brief synopsis of what uh, what your work and involvement has been there. Because, this, you know, I'm not sure that the average person like myself um, could maybe put together something like this without having some of the knowledge that you do. So get, share with the listeners how, you know, what your experience is in that, uh, in that area. Um, okay. Um, well, I'm, I've been working in the, in the movie industry for about 20 years, a little over 20 years, um, in a capacity of what's called a script supervisor. And that uh, does not mean I read scripts, which many people think, but it's rather sort of a, the director, I'm, I, I'm the one with the script in the hand. I keep notes for the actors, uh, for editors. I, um, I, you know, I help the director with the coverage of the scene, um, 
make sure that there are no continuity errors. Like sometimes, you know, you see a movie and you go, wait, that guy just had a blue sweater on. How come he's wearing a red sweater now? <laughs> I feel like I'm the guy that only notices those things. <laughs> yeah, you would be surprised. A lot of people look for these things or, you know, <laughs> wait, weren't, didn't they just run through the rain? How come they're all dry? <laughs> so, Little um, Easter eggs. Right, exactly. So these things happen because um, you don't shoot a film in sequence. You shoot, you know, all the scenes in the kitchen one day and all the scenes in the living room another day. And um, because of that, sometimes there might be three weeks or two months between two scenes that actually come right after another in the movie. And so my role is to make sure that these con so-called continuity errors mm -hmm. don't don't happen and I so I've worked around I've worked on you know some big feature films some big movies and some television shows and so forth and I've been working to to the right to the side of the director for 20 years and I've been watching other people direct films for a long time always thinking one day one day I'm gonna make my own movie <laughs> um, but it's actually you know it, it turned out kind of hard to write a screenplay that seemed good enough to me to warrant turning it into a movie. And so it was actually kind of uh, serendipitous when this whole thing with Australia came along because as I was preparing to go to Australia, I, I literally, I think I had my silk camera in my hand or something. I was like packing and I, or I was changing batteries on my silk camera or something. And it literally hit me like lightning in that moment. I was like, oh my God, that's it this is the movie I'm going to make. And I just knew in that moment, I had no idea what the movie was going to be about. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what was going to happen in Australia or, but I just knew I'd, I had no idea about documentaries either. Um, but I just knew in that moment that that was a story that inevitably was going to be interesting, but whether it was going to be interesting for, you know, personal reasons or right. weather or something, I didn't know, but I sure. just went out, I bought a camera I quickly watched a couple of uh, documentary films to get some inspiration. <laughs> the Crash Course. <laughs> the Crash Course, literally. And then, um, like, for example, I watched the, um, the movie called Sherman's March. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but about this guy. And he just literally turned the camera on himself and talked to the camera. And I thought that was very effective. So I decided that I was going to do that. And, you know, Len, you've seen the film, so you know that there are moments when mm -hmm. you see the distorted image right. of um, yeah, so I just went and I took the camera and I just started filming everything that from my point of view. And then I came back and I had 25 hours of footage and that sort of became the biggest challenge to then take those 25 hours and cut them down to a little over one hour into a story that actually had a red thread and, mm -hmm. a, and a, you know, some made sense and, uh, that took seven years so <laughs> well <laughs> you know works of art don't always happen overnight Monica right so it's interesting you I mean you had a camera you gave some of the other occupant or the other uh, participants on this trip a camera let it be known though this is no Blair Witch project okay this is like I mean it's um it's just, it's still, it's a better, you know, it's better, it's more well thought out, it's a better plot, it's a, I mean, you shared, the way you put it together, and the reason I wanted to actually let folks know that your involvement behind the scenes and how, you know, this isn't something you just spur the moment thought of, is because one of the first things I noticed was how how well organized it was, was, was through your narration. And, you know, when the movie started, I'm thinking to myself, it's awfully coincidental, like, I couldn't, 
I don't know if I have the capacity for creativity to just throw myself into uh, you know creating a documentary that seems so as natural as this movie Flyabout did. So that's why you know I wanted folks to understand your background. I, th- I think that's important. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I want to hear about the flight. Well, go ahead. You got some questions. Yeah. What about your um, scariest moment? Something unexpected that happened along the way. <laughs> well, there were a few of those moments. Um, I would say there there are two um, kind of critical weather related moments in the movie, and um, I from. The feedback I've gotten from people, I think the second one appears scarier in the movie. <laughs> That's what I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, between you and me, the fact is the first one was actually much scarier for me um, because uh, both of them have to do with IFR, unexpected IFR for a VFR pilot. And the, But the first one happened on the second day. We had, we had left Brisbane. We had flown north up to uh, Brampton Island. Um, right by the barrier reef there. And when we got up in the morning and wanted to fly back from the island to the mainland, it was completely cloudy. Like you couldn't really see anything. But, you know, we thought we could maybe make it back and uh, follow the the islands back (laughs) to the mainland. And so we took off. And uh, once we were up there, I literally got to that moment that they describe in the books and that they always warn you about where you just can't see anything. Mm -hmm. And for a while I was following um, the leader plane in front of me, but then once we got to the mainland, it got even worse and the cloud layer dropped and he disappeared. And that was probably the scariest moment for me because I have, you know, I had no IFR experience. And at that point, frankly, I didn't even know how to use the GPS that was in my plane. You know, mind you, this was, 13 years ago. So now my six-year-old son can handle a GPS. (laughs) But at the time, a GPS was still sort of a a foreign concept for me. So I I had made, that was another mistake. I didn't, hadn't learned how to use that. Otherwise, I probably would have had an easier time finding the airport that was very nearby. Um, So that was very scary to me. Um, I did luckily end up finding a runway and I decided I didn't care where I was. I just landed the plane there. And it turned out it was the closest to the, you know, to the coast and the other planes ended up at the same airport and we were safe. But it was a it was a a definitely a scary moment. And um, I made sure that right thereafter, somebody explained to me how to use the GPS. (laughs) And uh, that came in the GPS then came in very handy during the second scary moment when we were flying down the West Coast, which is a, a 80 mile long cliff or something and there was some rain squalls and we went in and out of clouds but at the very least you know they were very far from any civilization I knew there was a very good chance that there were no other planes out there I knew where the other four planes that I was flying in a cluster with I knew where they were because I was talking to them and we communicated with help of the GPS we'd say like oh I'm at 14.5 you know I'm at 14.3 miles so we kind of knew where we were and that appears that section appears very scary in the movie but it what i was never really that worried at that point i had goosebumps literally though because i was like you know i got that feeling there's a there's a vfr pilot just like you explained this is this is what it says in the book don't go here don't do this and i'm just i was like cringing on the couch having goosebumps going oh no i guess that means i did my job as a filmmaker (laughs) 
uh, yeah, I was scared. And there was, you know, shortly following right after that was that scary landing in Cervantes where I had to, we finally got to our landing spot of the day and it was um, 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 a dirt runway uh, on the West Coast. And they, when we got there, we found out that the wind was blowing like 25 knots and it was total 90 degree crosswind. And uh, that's pretty obvious, I think, in the movie that that was a challenge and I will, I will, I will agree that it was a challenge, but it felt at the time I felt after having flown three and a half weeks at that point, you know, I felt like up for that challenge. I felt very in tune with the airplane and I thought like I could, I could land her. <laughs> I could right. make Is, uh, there were two, were there two dirt runways or just the one? In Cervantes, I believe there was just the one. Oh, not, or... Uh... Oh, you mean in general? Yeah, because there's, I don't know if we should give a spoiler alert, but there was one, I th- I, yeah, I thought that it was that gusty day where there was uh, an incident that wasn't an incident. <laughs> hmm, I'm trying to figure out what you mean. The, uh, uh, the wind and the grass? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that was that, that, was that same runway okay, yeah, okay. where I landed and I, yeah, that, that was that scary crosswind where I did make it down, but then... The wind literally just blew me off the runway into the grass. Is that what you mean? Yes, yes. Yeah, I didn't know if there was uh, an, another one, but I didn't. Well, that's too late. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> well, it but, sounds yeah. like it was a not just a vacation; it was quite a learning experience. I bet you honed your piloting skills throughout this whole thing. You started off with 140 hours before you left. Yes, I had about 140 hours, and then the whole trip was 70 flying hours. So it was basically added and yeah, of my total experience. And definitely, you know, flying four weeks every single day. It yeah, you it it, it was definitely when I left when I came home from Australia. That was the fittest I've ever been as a pilot for sure. Mm-hmm. It was a great learning experience, and just getting comfortable and. And, you know, at the beginning, we we were in, in a group of five airplanes flying more or less and, in, in you know, taking off together and more or less landing together. And initially, I remember the first time one of the other planes came close to me and they were waving to me. And I was like, oh, my God, that's exciting. But don't come so close. <laughs> <laughs> and then by the end of the trip, I mean, we would fly, you know, all three next to each other. And, and uh, it was just a dream, you know. What seemed so scary in the beginning was the coolest part about it at the end. Mm -hmm. Well, what I've been really wondering is you were in that plane for four weeks with your family. Um, You know, my fiance and I fly a lot together and I can know I know it can get tense with two pilots in the cockpit and your father was a pilot as well. So um, how do you handle that situation when there's two pilots, you're both family members, so it's easy to get on each other's nerves? Um, How did that work out for you? (laughs) Well, um, that I would like to say became the greatest challenge of the whole trip. Um, And to make matters worse, I ha- I didn't, that was the last thing I had expected. Like I had expected challenge to be challenged on a, you know, on a, on a piloting level, on a weather level, anything, but not, I thought my dad and I had always been very close. We had never had an argument my whole life. 
And we were super excited to go on this trip together. And we thought, you know, we'll just take turns uh, landing the plane. No big deal. Um, but we were just naive. You know, now when I look back, I'm thinking, of course, this couldn't work. <laughs> but we hadn't thought about it. The, the fact was, I had 140 hours. So I was a really a brand new pilot. But my dad had about 70 hours. Um, so he was an even newer pilot. And he had gotten his license in the United States, but then had returned to Germany where he lives. He never really flew for about two years. Then he came back and did his like BFR. And then we went on this trip. So he had very, very limited experience. Um, so as we got down there, the, the tour operator had asked us, who's your pilot in command? And that's all I care about. Like, you tell me, and then what you do in the cockpit is up to you. And since I had more experience, I was declared the pilot in command. So I was flying in the left seat. And what we hadn't really thought about was the fact that it was really uh, impossible to expect from my dad to land the plane flying in the right seat. And at the same time, I couldn't really let him fly in the left seat because I wasn't confident. I'd never flown from the right seat. So I couldn't really assure the safe landing of the plane sitting in the right seat. And so as we went off, you know, like the third time, the third, you know, we would, we would try to take turns and um, it, it just got, we often got in the situation where, where he would try to land the plane and then he would overreact and, and, and during the flare, you know, he'd get too slow and I was afraid he was going to stall. So I would say I would take over the plane and that didn't sit so well with my dad. Um, understandably, frankly, um, I wouldn't have liked that either. So we were in this dilemma where he felt like, well, look, you got to let me practice. Otherwise I'm not going to improve on my landings. And I felt like, well, but I don't have the confidence of a flight instructor I don't have to let you practice, you know, or to what degree. So um, it really was now with all this time <laughs> distance, you know, looking back at it, I'm thinking like it really was a no win situation. We, we really uh, were stuck in this situation where he felt like I wasn't really letting him do enough flying. I thought he wasn't cautious enough and all of that kind of, escalated into a pretty massive argument and uh ultimately i think in in the bigger picture um um i'd say a little bit of a coming of age situation for me you know it was in in hindsight i think this was really the moment in my life where for the first time ever i there was something that i was better at than my father and that can be a pretty disorienting experience um and because you're so, you know, all your life you grow up thinking your dad is awesome. Your dad knows everything, you know, your dad will protect you. And suddenly you're like, well, wait, but I can't, there's this other part of me that feels like I, I know better and I know I'm right. And, and, and so it was, yeah, it was quite a challenge and it was quite, um, uh, a learning experience for both of us. And it took us a while. Now, of course, this is a major spoiler alert because now I've told a big part of the movie. But um, in the end, you know, we, we made it through the whole trip. And um, I really wanted my film, of course, to have a happy ending. But the truth is that it wasn't really a happy ending by the time we got back to Brisbane. We were, we were not on good terms. And we both had a lot of thinking to do. And it took about 
you know, six months of letters writing back and forth until we both truly came to a place where we just understood the other one and understood the situation and time just kind of healed our wounds and we kind of moved on and, and, and made up. And I'm very happy to say that now, you know, everything is as good as it ever was, if not better. And we've, we've really both learned a lot, but it was, it was a real bump in the road. Mm-hmm. What did that, what did that moment do or that ending like that at the time do to each of your flying? Like, did you both move on and continue to fly or did it change the change, you know, anything about that for either of you? Um, it did. Yeah. I don't you know, did he keep flying? Did you keep flying? I, well, what, there's two different stories. Mine is, um, I continued flying for about another two years or so. Um, and at that point I got married and I had kids. So I, I didn't fly for about six years, but, but because of my kids and because I had little ones and I didn't have any time or whatever. And I eventually, uh, started flying again about three, four years ago. Mm-hmm. I'd finished my film and I'd taken my film to Oshkosh and all the people asking me, so where do you fly now? Um, sort of made me very embarrassed when I had to admit that I was not currently a pilot. Right. So, um, so I, I, I took it back up and I am flying again now and I'm super happy that I am. And I've taken my kids flying and um, I'm very happy about that. Um, my dad has actually not flown as a pilot since the Australia trip. However, it's important to say that that had nothing to do with our difficulties. Um, He had always said, um, you know, when he first came out to get his pilot's license, he said to me that he had thought this all the way through and that he was going to get his pilot's license, but that he was never planning on on transferring his license into a German pilot's license or flying in Germany because it's really quite more expensive to fly in Germany and he doesn't have an airport nearby and whatever. And he said, you know, I probably won't keep this up as a hobby, but I've decided that even if I never fly again, this is still a great thing, a great dream of mine to fulfill just to get a pilot's license. So, which frankly, I really admired in him. I thought that was beautifully inefficient. (laughs) Well, I agree. I think that's awesome. They just went for it knowing that he may never use it again. Right, exactly. I thought so too. I was very impressed with that. Um, but that's the real reason why he didn't really continue flying after Australia, um, because he lives in Germany and he just hasn't keep kept it up. But it was always his plan. I had another question, Monica. With that, you know, a lot of us have through lives we have our you know learning experiences through our travels, like a serendipitous journey, like you talked about. We, you know. A lot, a lot of folks dream of doing things like flying an airplane, and then we have kids and things get in the way, and then sometimes it seems that people live vicariously through their children, which almost seems like that was going to happen here, but instead he actually kind of lived the dream with you, and he went along, and I think that's pretty terrific. Yeah, totally. Because um, my dad has always said to me, I've wanted to fly, and, and I couldn't, but he's come along and flown with me, but that's that's pretty neat that he actually instead of living vicariously through you, he became part of that journey. Yeah, I totally agree. I was so proud of him. I will never forget the day, and there's a there's a photo in my movie at the beginning where you see him on the day he got his pilot's license, and 
we were just both so ecstatic for him to get his license. It was just so, and I was so happy that I had inspired him to do this, to follow through on this dream of his that that um, he thought he was never going to do. It was really a great moment. I'm, I'm, I was very proud of him. Yeah, I tell you, and I tell you, Bonica, I'm kind of a kindred spirit with you, and that I've I've believed in just doing things, you know, and and I don't think it, some of us feel that those aren't very responsible, but. I think from doing just doing it like you did. I mean, you just went out and did it something you really wanted to do at a young age because you sounds like you were worried that you'd be old and saying, "Gosh, I wish I could have done this before." And and that's kind of how I've led my life. Uh, and I'd also like maybe for you to relate to some of our listeners. You know, gosh, you know why why hold back? You know why should you hold back? Or on the other side of that, why should you do it now? Why should you try to get your license or or make these type of journeys? You know, what was your what was that other than that inspiration saying hey I don't want to be old and saying I haven't done this is there any other things that you could bring to the table and tell them hey you know is there anything else you could inspire our folks listening to hey go ahead get your license or do whatever it is maybe it's making a film yeah think about that for a second because um. I think you know one of the things that that we see is and I hear this all the time and I, I counsel people on, on careers in aviation and they always say, well, I, I can't do that. I have this, I have that, and things are going to get in the way. And, you know, we've – one of the things that you hear from people that are younger, the folks I counsel that are especially younger because you did this at a younger age, is that, you know, oh, no, I can't do that. I need to go into this and work on this part of my career so that I can pay for those things later on. And But you kind of didn't do that. I mean, you, you did have a career, but you said, hey, I'm going to go ahead and do this now and and not worry about everything. And somehow it worked out. As a matter of fact, it, it's still working out. It's, it's terrific, I think. I mean, yeah. it's it's wonderful how that's happened. In a way, it was easier at, you know, at 24. I had not, nobody else attached to me, and and I I was able to just do it. And I, at the time... I thought, oh my God, I don't want to turn into one of those old people who said like, oh, if only I had and I could have and I – and so like that is to me the scariest thing ever, like a missed opportunity. And um, so I – at the time, it was, even though it was scary and I didn't know how it was going to work out financially and what, you know, was I doing? <laughs> this is kind of crazy to to, to get a pilot's license. But um, I, you know, seeing now not only – um, the, all the joy that I get out of flying, but the joy that I can bring to other people. You know, whenever I take somebody flying, I just took a friend of mine, another mom from school, flying last Tuesday, and she had never sat in a 172. She had never been in a small airplane. And I flew her over her house and over the school, and she was just so into it. And and to see that kind of joy, you know, it. it every time I think, oh my God, it was so worth it. It was so, worth it. you know. <laughs> I had ins- that it allowed me to inspire my dad. The fact that it allowed me to make this movie, the fact that this movie then went out and has been shown to, you know, thousands of people and kids at Oshkosh coming to me. And I remember that one of my favorite stories: uh, this girl that came to me at uh, uh, Kid Venture. I talked to the kids, and she came up to me after uh, watching the film and said, "You know, do you know that electric?" Um, what is it, buffalo or bull or something that they have in the main square there? Oh, yeah. yeah you know, like the, um, the writing thing? Yeah, the writing thing. You know, I've been walking by there for three days, and I thought I was kind of too scared to do it, but I kind of wanted to try it. And 
now, now that I heard you talking, I kind of think maybe I'm just going to do it. And that afternoon, her dad emailed me a photo of his like 11 year old girl uh, sitting <laughs> at bowl, and I was just so happy. I was thinking, Jesus, never in my life would I have thought that my film could inspire that, you know. Um, or there was another situation where I, I've, I've traveled around the country quite a bit, showing the film to like 99s and women in aviation groups and EAA groups and so forth. And at one of these um, screenings, people came up to me afterwards, and this one man came up and said, "You know, thank you so much." And I'm, 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 I mostly can't. I'm amazed at how uh, honest you were and about the thing with your dad. And you know, I haven't really spoken to my dad in a while. And anyways, thank you. And then he left. And about five minutes later, he poked his head back in and he said, you know what? I'm just going to buy a copy of your film and send it to him and see what happens. Wow. And like those moments, they're just when you, when something like this happens and you know, you, you feel like, oh my God, I actually really made a difference in some small way somewhere in somebody's life. It's really very gratifying and it was made it worth all that hard work. Well, I think you've made a difference. I, I tell you, I'm actually, when I get this movie, I'm going to show it to a lot of folks because, you know, it really does inspire people to do things. And, and uh, you know, one thing that that kind of bugs me about this whole story, I haven't seen the movie, but from all the reading I've done about the movie and about you is that I look at, you know, my life and I say to myself, gosh, you know, my maybe my parents were right in that I should go ahead and do it now and not wait till later because you probably won't do it later in life. In other words, when you're younger and you don't have all these responsibilities and you don't have children running around, you really need to try those things at that point because you may not be able to do it until all your responsibilities have ended and those have ended later on in life. And you hear this all the time with people. They get their pilot certificate when they're younger or they get it when they're older. And uh, I think that's, that's the one thing I've gleaned the most from your film and that's you know, from, I've actually seen this before. I saw a preview of this before, and I said, "Wow, that's that's neat. That's somebody that I I would love other people to see because they're going to inspire people to just go for it. You know, try it out. And if it if it works, great. If it doesn't, you have the next adventure afterwards." <laughs> you know what I mean? The other thing that I add is that um, yes, it was easier at 24, but then I sort of. To, with myself, I try to be very disciplined and say, like, look, but that doesn't mean you can stop mm-hmm. things you dream of now. Like, it's very tempting to say, like, yeah, I could do that at 24, but now I have kids and now this and that. And that is why when, uh, you know, people would ask me about flying, I suddenly felt like, look, you know, I'm really in the same situation now. Here I am, you know, 12 years later or whatever. Um I have to get my BFR now. And I was like, oh, but it's hard. And I haven't flown in six years. And I don't even know what I'll remember. And it was, it was again, that same challenge that I had to overcome. So like, you know, Monica, you just have to do it. You just have to go out, just call a, call a flight instructor, just go and see what happens. And when I did it, when I'd done it, I was so happy I, I did. Um, or, and then when you're, you know, you can also say like, well, yeah, you could do that. But what if you're 60? What if you're 65? Oh, I'm too old now. Well, take a look at the end. Look at all the people that flew around Australia with me. They were all in their 60s mm-hmm. and or 70. And they were all like, they could have sat home and said, like, I'm over 60. I can't do this anymore. But no, they said, guess what? I'm flying a plane around Australia just because I want to. I can't. Of course I can't. Just make, you know, and I think that. They were so inspirational to me, those people, to see, like, I want to be like them when I'm 65. 
<laughs> oh yeah. Well, yeah. The um and you know you said that fly about you used that word again. You know, uh, and, and I guess this inspired you for the name, but also prior to this, that word flyabout is a play on words from a walkabout, right? That's what you used. What What is meant by that walkabout for us that don't understand what that is, what that means? Um, a walkabout is um, a spiritual journey that the Aborigines go on in order to sort of reconnect their spiritual self with their physical self. It's sort of comparable to a, maybe a vision quest in the um, Indian religion or with what the Indians do or maybe going to church for some of us. Um, um, so basically what they do, the Aborigines, when they, when they sort of can't quite, you know, things get out of line, they can't quite make sense of things anymore, they might go on a walkabout, which means that they literally will leave their family, their friends, people behind and start walking off into the outback. And as part of their journey, they try to reconnect with, um, you know, nature around them. Uh, they, there's, there's a, um, a theory about their, their, um, how do you say their, um, you know, their evolution, they believe that they were all part of this, these dreamings, that the, the, they were created as part of a dreaming, like a the kangaroo dreaming or the snake dreaming or so forth. And so they kind of follow this invisible line, and that helps them reconnect with their purpose in life, I think. And so I'd heard about this, and I thought it was really interesting. And uh, I, as I was preparing to go to Australia, I thought, oh, walkabout, I'm just going to go on a flyabout. It's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to find my spiritual self. It's going to be awesome. And I'll make a movie about it. <laughs> so rude awakening was when none of that happened because I was way too busy trying to fly the plane and figure out things with my dad. And and there was also no real opportunity to have a you know good interaction with one of the Aborigines because we were constantly we were never in one place for more than a day. And so. That's also a part of the the movie is this my constant search for finding out talk about this and trying to resemble it or trying to uh, imitate it. Um, uh, and it was actually interesting when I had come home and I had those twenty five hours of footage, um, and I was trying to edit it together. My first plan had always been to turn it into this spiritual quest while flying around Australia, and since I didn't have any kind of big bang enlightenment moment, I thought, oh, I don't have a movie. This whole thing was a failure. I can't, you know, tell my story. And that's when a, a, a good friend of mine came in to play and he said, you know what, Monica, you don't always find what you're looking for in life, but you still might have learned something. So why don't you make your movie about what you didn't find and what you found instead? Um, and that was very, that was a very good suggestion. <laughs> As you will see when you see the film, it's it's sort of, you know, yet, even though I'm setting out to find out what a walkabout is, in the end, I have to admit, I didn't really figure it out. And mm. But I learned a lot of other things. Awesome. Is your, just to jump in here, um, so you, this was, this all happened before, you know, you had a family, your own family. Um, what do they know about this? Have they seen it? Or, or is it something you... You know, to talk about that a little bit, because my guess is this is pretty inspirational at some point for them. It could be. Um, I know they're kind of young, so maybe that hasn't happened yet. Um, yeah, they certainly, you know, I, I was editing, partially editing with my kids and the baby Bjorn. And <laughs> so they're <laughs> pretty 
road with this film. Um, and they um gone to several of the screenings and, you know, of course they'd like seeing their mommy up there. And, um, yeah. but my favorite moment maybe with regards to that was, um, two years, no, four, three years ago when the first time we did the women fly forward, um, I think that's what it's called, the Women Flying Day um, thing that Marie Goyer organizes, I said, okay, this is my chance to take my daughter flying. And so the first time we had the, the Teach Women How to Fly Day, I, I took my then seven-year-old daughter and her friend up in a plane for the first time. And um, it was a very monumental moment to see, like, was she going to freak out? Was she going to love it? And uh, she she did love it very much, and I think she um, I'm very happy to be able to introduce my kids that early to flying. And I think you know we'll see if one of them gets the bug. I'm a little bit nervous that they uh, they may outdo me, and I'll have to go through. Aha! Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, dad- <laughs> uh, you're, you're going to have to yeah you're going to have to you know create a, a new ending to the movie if that happens. Yeah, you know, I always used to joke when people ask me in, in after screenings in the Q&A, and it's like, so what's your next project? I said, like, well, who knows? Maybe we'll make fly about two when I circumnavigate Africa with my daughter. Mm-hmm. Well, if they want to do that, that would be huge. That would be what a cool, what a cool follow-up. It would be amazing. I wouldn't be surprised if it happens. <laughs> Got to tell you the truth. Yeah. You actually led into my next question, um, mentioning uh, Women of Aviation Week, a woman fly it forward. Um, I'm the United States liaison for Mireille, actually. And, um, you know, still only 6% of women, um, I mean, 6% of pilots are female. And you were one of the, you were the only female pilot. Isn't that correct on this journey? That's correct. I was the only woman pilot, yeah. Did you uh, face any obstacles because you were a female, or is there anything you'd like to say to future or um, current woman pilots? Um, well, I, yeah, I would like to say that I was initially, when I arrived on this on, in Australia, and I found out that I was the only woman pilot and the only one under the age of 60, um, I was very intimidated and got quite nervous. I was also the one with the least amount of hours. Um, and Going through the experience has really shown me that it makes no difference how old you are, whether you're a man or a woman or a 24-year-old girl. Like, you can really, anybody can do it. And it's been, for me, it's been an incredibly empowering thing in my life to get a pilot's license because it really, just to fly, I mean, it's so, I think everyone should at least do one introductory lesson because there's nothing more empowering than holding the yoke and thinking like, Oh my God, this thing is in my hands. I am controlling this airplane even just for a minute. Um, it's a very, it's a very empowering and and wonderful experience. And I really hope more women are going to, um, give it a shot and I bet they will all find out that they like it. Excellent. Hey, did you um, get back to your journey here in, in, uh, in the down under? Well, one thing I'm dying to ask you, I know this is kind of frivolous, is did you get to see one of those kangaroos? <laughs> to- <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've been dying to ask you. Big ones and red ones and brown ones and yes. 
Lots Did of hair everywhere, huh? <laughs> are they okay. are they friendly or or what are they like? <laughs> I'm I've never I've seen one in a zoo. That's it. They're very, they're very like they just go about their thing and and um, yeah they're they're fine. That the the coolest animals I saw among the coolest animals I saw down there were um, two two different things I can think of. One is the dingoes. We stayed on um, a ranch one night where we flew in on that guy's dirt runway and it was like a bed and breakfast for people with wings. And uh, he lived there all by himself uh, and only had two wild dingoes living with him. And he was, they, they were sort of living with him and then one of them had just had some puppies and it was incredible to be, you know, to live with them or to uh, on such close quarters and see them in a t- sort of tamed version of them. That was very cool. And then the other ones was the whales we saw in right in the beginning um, off the shore in Brisbane. We saw some humpback whales, which were very impressive. And uh, you see those in the movie too. And right on the like right on the other side of Australia. Towards the end, oh no, actually it was on the southern shore. Towards the end of the trip, we saw the whales again at that point migrating with their young. And we saw them from the air. And that was one of the most magical, surreal moments, things I've seen from an airplane. It was just really, it was like we were, we were, felt like being God, you know, like we were watching something that we weren't really supposed to see or something. I don't know. It just was really special to me to see those whales from the airplane, you know, we were circling over them and you could see them in, down there in the water. You're making me jealous. <laughs> You'll see it soon. I'm going to send the DVD to you tomorrow. V did. Ah, I want to go to Australia now. Oh, she's so like, I don't want your DVD. I'm just going to go there. Yeah, forget <laughs> that. I'm going to make my own trip. <laughs> Good. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. You know, the, the, it's, it's funny, Monica, I think, it's not it's not just a cool story about an aviation adventure, but I took away from it a lot more of the sort of the life's lessons that we've been sharing on the show about inspiration and motivation and and you know the fact that you were with all those folks who even at an older age in life said the heck with it I there you know no limitations even if I'm 70 I can go to Australia and fly a plane around the country. Um yeah, it was it was uh I mean, the word inspirational is really what sums up this story. And again, and it's just it's um, it's inspirational with an aviation twist. I wouldn't, uh, you know, wouldn't call it just a good aviation film. But uh, there's a lot of life's lessons in here. Tell us a little bit about where the listeners can get some information uh, about you, about the DVD. Uh, you're on Twitter, Facebook. Let us know how we can get in touch with you. Uh, well, first of all, I have a website. It's www.flyaboutmovie.com. And there you can see the three-minute trailer of the film. You can read a little bit about the behind-the-scenes, how I came to the film, etc. Um, and there's more information there. There, You can also order the DVD there right on the website. Um, I am on Twitter, and that's also Flyabout. And I have a Facebook page that's called Flyabout. You can like the movie if you want. <laughs> and um, you can also, the several pilot stores carry the film. I know Aircraft Spruce does and, uh, and a couple of the other online stores do too. Mm-hmm. 
And then, uh, as you already mentioned, there's going to be a screening of it at the Arlington Fly-In on July 12th. So anybody in the Washington area can see it on a big screen. That's the nicest way to see it, you know, outdoors when the sun is just set with a bunch of other pilots around you. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Uh, so that's the most recent one coming up. Do you have anything beyond that for any other um, any other showings? Well, if you have any listeners in Germany, I have a showing, <laughs> two showings in Munich and uh, <laughs> <laughs> on July 5th and July 26th. But uh, um, that's it for the United States ones at this point. At this point, okay. Wonderful. Well, Monica, from uh, myself and Carl, Rick, and Victoria, we really, really, really appreciate having you on the show today. This is, uh, again, folks, this is a movie not just about aviation, but about one woman's journey of, uh, you know, just taking charge, plunging into an adventure of a lifetime. And, um, you know, I've seen the DVD. Carl already ordered it before the show began because he's that excited about it. I'm going to loan this one out to Victoria, and I'm sorry, Rick, I guess you're going to have to get your own. Well, actually, I I just ordered it a minute ago because uh, I have a person I'm going to give it to as a present, but I may watch it with them. There Is you it go. available on Blu-ray or just DVD? Uh, it's just DVD. Just DVD. Okay. You have to remember, I, I made this yeah. film. Oh, yeah, it was a while back. A while back, and in fact, I've, the, the only sort of negative comment I've ever heard anywhere about the film was that the visuals could have been a little bit crisper, and I have well, it wasn't really an option at the time. I no. need DV. You know what <laughs> you, you should a- tell them? Get over it. <laughs> In pure Victoria style. So, yeah, so technically, so you're using mini DV. Wow, mini DV. Interesting. Yeah, it was. Yeah, exactly. They're not even around anymore. Like you could, mm. you should have seen the editing system with which I started editing this film. Um, I mean, it would fit in your iPhone today, and it was this huge monitor and this huge tower, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. But, so when you go back up with your kids to do that flight, it'll be you know it's going to be amazing, three D, yeah. whatever. I'll do IMAX. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. Uh, so yeah, we really appreciate having you on the show. Um, we have to keep in touch if you do make a sequel or anything like that, and just stop by and let us know what's new. The after landing checklist. Victoria, for our listeners out there, it's that time of the day where we share our contact information. Tell folks where they can get in touch with you. Um, you can find me at toriaflies.blogspot.com, and if you're looking uh, for me at Ashkosh, just visit air-pros.com, and we'll have info there. Wonderful. Mr. Valeri, sir. Uh, you can find me at expertaviator.com, and also I'll be hanging out with the friends at uh, Air Pros at Oshkosh if they invite me in. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, the invitation's in the mail. Oh, yeah. You know how reliable that mail service is when it comes to invitations. <laughs> uh, Rick, your contact our, info. Yeah. R. Felty on Twitter, R.D. Felty on YouTube, and rotationspeed.com. Fantastic. I'm Len Costa. You can reach me at thepilotreport.com. We just updated the website. Check it out. Uh, The Pilot Report on Facebook and Twitter. In fact, speaking of just uh, redesigned websites, in the last couple of weeks, we we submitted a redesign for uh, Stuck Mike Avcast. Check that out, stuckmikeavcast.com. If you've got any questions, comments, reader mail, you can reach us, uh, you know, collectively at stuckmikeavcast at gmail.com or on Facebook 
or on Twitter. And don't forget to check out our mobile application on your iPad, iPhone, and Android device. For myself, Len Costa, Carvalari, Rick Felty, Victoria Nouvel, and our special guest, Monica Petrillo, thank you for tuning in to episode number 27 of the Stuck Mike Avcast. We all wish you guys clear skies and calm winds. Take care, everybody. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Abcast is an aviation podcast brought to you by thepilotreport.com, a Len Costa Production.